My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity and femininity happening around the world today. My guest this week is the author of Even Exile. Please welcome Rebecca Merkel. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. As you may have noticed, I take a different approach than many podcasts about men and masculinity. You see, and follow me closely here, I regard women as people. I know, crazy, right? Now, that doesn't mean that I define personhood the same way that the Marxists do. I don't believe that the right to vote or dollars in a bank account inherently bestow personhood and that the lack of them, or even the lack of desire for them, means a woman is not a person. Our personhood isn't given to us by the state or corporations and therefore cannot be taken from us by the state or corporations. Our personhood comes from being made in the image of God. It's irrevocable, stamped onto us in the same way that the image of Caesar was stamped onto the coin. Now brace yourself, because here comes another bomb. Are you ready? Men and women are different, and yet both are equally made in the image of God. That means women reflect God's image differently than men do. So if I, as a man, am interested in understanding God through his revelation to us, it stands to reason that it might be worth understanding women. And I'll even go one step further and say that if men and women are the two who are meant to become one flesh, that the husband is the head of the wife, the woman is the glory of the man, and that she is a helper fit for him, it's not even possible to understand men fully unless you have a decent understanding of women. And all this, I believe, explains why the notion of women being people is so offensive to so many red pill and manosphere men, whether objectivist or Nietzschean or Hyperborean mystic or Tate disciple or whatever, they believe and act as if man is an end in himself. They believe they are God. And if you don't need God, then you certainly don't need women, at least not as anything other than an accessory. You can propagate yourself into the future, not through children, which of course requires a woman. Instead, you can do it through your own greatness, just like Ozymandias did. Hey, does anyone know how that worked out for him? Anyway, perhaps in this you can see the magnitude of a truth that should land deep in the gut of every man. God and women show men just how limited we are. Realization of both these facts leads men out of the clubhouse of boyhood into the kingdom building of manhood. Only by keeping our world small can we hope to avoid a confrontation with our own smallness. And that's not what we do around here. And so that is why in a podcast about men, I believe it's essential to talk to and about women. We as men cannot be understood in isolation. It is not good for man to be alone. God said so. And only when given the gift of woman did creation become very good. I mean, wow. So let's check in with our partners on this earth. We'll just flip back through history and see if we can do a quick catch up. Let's see, we have feminism in the late 1800s, and then we have a bit more in the 1960s, and then 
Oh no, oh dear God. Because it would seem that the image of God stamped uniquely onto women has been defaced. Careerism, abortion, transgenderism, and more have bent and broken the crown. No wonder there are so few kings. And this, I suspect, is a final reason why so many men are truly afraid to speak about women. Because if you look, I mean really look, at what the abdication and elimination of men has enabled, it's just too much to bear. In other words, it's easier for over-muscled boys to imagine themselves playing warlord in the wasteland than it is for them to acknowledge that we're supposed to be tending a garden, because then they'll see that the garden is empty, because someone is missing, and it might just take a civilization-wide prayer to bring her home. Which brings me to my guest this week. Her name is Rebecca Merkel, and she's the author of the outstanding book, Even Exile, and the star of the documentary of the same name. I've read many books by women, for women, that are about women, and Even Exile is the finest of them all so far. Because, as the title indicates, Even Exile is about how women's nature, their innate design, has been banished from society, branded as a traitor to womankind, and even proclaimed anathema to our anti-human secular theology. When I say all this, it sounds almost comical. As we all know, men are made, but women are. So what do you mean that women have forgotten who they are? What sorcery is this? I don't know, but it's very old and very dark and very powerful, and it seems to have worked to the near devastation of all. But that's why Becca's book is so marvelous. She knows a deeper magic, one rooted not in the office, the ballot box, or the nightclub, but the household, the hearth, and the heart. Because that unique image of God stamped onto women can only be defaced and never fully expunged. And with the right language and intention, plus a good bit of laughter, perhaps we can call Eve back from exile. And maybe we can even bring her home. In our conversation, Becca and I discussed women overcorrecting from feminism, the off-ramp from the career conveyor belt, motherhood as a calling, respect, submission, and love, getting squared away on the basics, putting off the moment of obedience, And finally, why not to be a marriage nerd? If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, or if this is your first time listening, thank you. If you like the show, you can help us reach a wider audience by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. Also, if you're a first-time female listener wondering what resources a podcast called the Renaissance of Men could possibly have for women, the answer is tons. Scroll down the list of episodes and you'll find many that are by and for women, including interviews with Annalise from Feminine Not Feminist, Alison Armstrong, Professor Nancy Piercy, Rachel Wilson, Suzanne Venker, and more. My sincere hope is that if men can learn about women and women can learn about men, maybe together we can work towards what I call the Great Reconciliation. And then we'd really be getting somewhere. The Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee providers of fine coffee beans, hand-roasted by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne and his family in Springfield, Missouri. This podcast is coming out on Black Friday, which means that it's officially Christmas shopping season, and you and I both know that everyone on your list loves coffee. Bros and besties, friends and spouses, family members, neighbors, and co-workers, probably your kids too. And what better gift is there than kingdom-building, family-supporting, God-glorifying, always-reforming, based-and-handsome, three-piece suit-wearing coffee? None. There is no better gift. 
You know it, I know it, and everybody knows it. And you can get a head start on all the cool kids by going to ReformationCoffee.com and choosing from their Ethiopia, India, Brazil, and Guatemala roasts. Or if you can't make up your mind, choose a sampler and try them all. You can even order decaf for people on your naughty list. And for the gift that keeps on giving, you can also subscribe to Reformation Coffee year-round by signing up for regular coffee delivery. And when you do, enter the code SUBFREE and get one free 12-ounce bag of coffee with your new subscription. Yep, that's right. When you sign up for the gift of coffee delivery, you get free coffee on the house. Literally everybody wins. Now that is some holiday spirit. Again, go to ReformationCoffee.com for more, and let's get Brandon roasting overtime. A quick note before we begin. If you're looking for commentary about the recent Spanking Gate controversy with Rebecca's mother, Nancy Wilson, this episode was recorded before Mrs. Wilson's words started making the rounds, so we don't reference them here in the interview. However, I think Pastor Toby Sumter recorded the best possible response to the controversy, and Pastor Wilson hosted a roundtable with his kids, and both of those are linked in the show notes. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, the co-host of the What Have You podcast, a wife and mother, plus the author and star of Even Exile, Rebecca Merkel. Rebecca Merkel, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's great. I've been really excited to uh, to have this conversation. I have uh, many female listeners, and you've been requested many times. So I'm happy to <laughs> happy to be able. To, it would be it's surprising that there are female listeners to a podcast about men, but I think that's a good sign. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. Yeah. So congratulations on your documentary, Even Exile, being uh, featured during No Quarter November. How's that oh, going? That's right. Oh, that's right. Uh, seems good. I don't know how many you know watches they've gotten, but it seemed like it was going well. Did you get a flamethrower? You know what? They were going to have me come in and wear the (laughs) flamethrower to torch creme brulees. And I was like, oh, I'm in. Oh yeah, I'll do it. And then we didn't get it scheduled and we left town. So it didn't happen, but we can imagine that it did. Well, it's it's not too late. I mean, Thanksgiving's coming up. There's always an opportunity. True. I think they were going to do it before they did the giveaway. So, you know, missed that. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Well, you know, next, next year you'll get to light something on fire. I know. I'm not sure how far away I would have had to have stood from the creme brulees. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I don't know either, actually. (laughs) Well, so so, my aim is, I guess. Yeah, exactly. We're going to roast a turkey with a flamethrower. You know, we're past frying. So (laughs) yeah, totally. So I think um, one of the questions that I, I wanted to start with is there there seems to be this kind of growing movement to return to biblical femininity with so many different uh, authors and podcasts and Instagram and Twitter accounts that are talking about this. And you're sort of on the leading edge of, the, of that um, in many ways. I certainly hear your book recommended all the time in the documentary as well. What's that like for you? Is that something that you intended to happen or wanted to have happen? Or you just felt like, I need to write this book and let what happens happen, I guess. Yeah. You know, I think it was probably more that it was like, mm-hmm. I felt like this really needs to be said. And then you just hope that it will catch, you know, that it will, that it will resonate somewhere. And it's been really encouraging. Honestly, I think even since the book has come out, um, it feels like there's a growing um, discontent in a good way, I guess, with just our current notions of what it means to be a woman. And a lot of people are actively trying to recover something 
that was really lost. I mean, it feels like um, maybe my grandmother's generation sort of shook the edge of sketch. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just gone. There's a bunch of collective memory that is just gone about how women, things were passed down mother to daughter for, you know, centuries, just yeah. gone. And there's a lot of women trying to rebuild and it can be clunky and it can be awkward, but honestly, it's really encouraging just seeing it happening at all. So were you, when you were writing the book, were you kind of aware that some, some of the struggles that women were having, that's probably a little different from your experience growing up, but did you have, did you have encounters with it? Sort of um, experiencing yeah. well, women are really confused. Go ahead. I mean, honestly, this is probably weird, but I think what mostly inspired me to want to write this was, I mean, of course the feminists are doing a bad job. Like that seems pretty <laughs> obvious. A little um, bit. <laughs> I mean, to anyone with their eyes open, you know, like it, they're doing a bad job. But but what I thought was sort of scary in a way was the stuff happening in reaction to the feminists. And mm. I was seeing some, I mean, because I was, you know, 90s, we're talking about 90s, where there was a lot of the sort of separatist kind of home schooling, home birthing, home everything um, mm-hmm. the first round, the one that now people are all deconstructing from. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? okay. Okay. Um, so, so I remember seeing that firsthand and it was like, it really was bad. I mean, uh, some of it was just kind of dorky, but some <laughs> of it was really, um, problematic. And so it was seen like people who it's like, okay, you're reacting to the right thing, but you're doing it in a totally wrong way. It's like, it was like um, if you had a doctor that could correctly diagnose the disease but was had no idea how to treat it. And so mm-hmm. um, it's not enough to just diagnose the feminists are doing a bad job. You have to, like, replace it with something. And um, I saw a lot of people doing a, a weird kind of brainless reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really probably what prompted the whole thing in the first place was not so much – what the left was doing, but more kind of what the right was doing. So is this the same movement that featured like purity culture and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and some of it was good and Mm -hmm. some of it was dumb even at the time. And some of it was revealed to be dumb in hindsight and, you know, but it was weird because like my dad wrote a book on courtship in the nineties that came out right about the same time as Josh Harris's book. And but it was different. I mean, it was like, it was a very yeah. different approach even then. Um, and so seeing some of the people, I mean, some of the people just grew up and it was great. It was fine. Um, but I had, there were girls my age who were being homeschooled by, um, you know, like dads who said, well, we don't have to teach our daughters really anything because they're just going to grow up to be wives and mothers. Oh, so it was like, so they don't need an education. And I just felt like you agree with the feminists, which is that this is a brainless job that requires nothing of a woman. And so it was like they agreed with the feminists. They had, they had sort of swallowed the lie of feminism, but then they just reacted differently on an emotional level. So it was like the feminists reacted away from it and they just reacted into it. And they, it was like they swallowed the reductio. They bought the whole stereotype and then didn't educate their daughters. And I had friends acquaintances really more. Um, but where I saw that firsthand, it was like they were not given an education and it was because you're just going to be a wife and mother. So you don't need it. So 
anyway. That's, that's actually really helpful for me because I'm relatively new to the faith, as my listeners know, um, just about three years. So I've been working to unpack what mm. happened during the 90s, which I was exposed to as a kid. Like I grew up in a Jewish family, so you know I, I sort of picked up the, the waves of it, but I, okay. never, I never really understood it from the outside. How could I? But I'm encountering, the more that I have these conversations, I'm running, in, running into people who I guess I would call like refugees from purity culture, and they're mm. so shook by what took place in the 90s that I, I don't really fully understand, but that makes a lot of sense that it was this massive overreaction to 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 whatever feminism had become at the time. It's way worse now. Yeah, that it just overcorrected, right? Is is that about right? Yeah, and it was like this. It's it's actually weirder than that because it was like it overcorrected. <laughs> Let's go into like doing the identical thing, and I think that was the part that was really surprising to me. Is as like honestly, a feminist is not ruder to wives and mothers than that, you know, Mm -hmm. which is like, this is a brainless menial job. If you have an education, it would be wasted in the home. Um, you know, like that approach, it's, it's very weird how actually those two things really went together in a strange way, which is, I think why it's so easy for them to flip so hard into the opposite ditch is because I, I think that they were always in the same ditch, weirdly. They just Mm -hmm. didn't. You know what I mean? So it was like they shared this weird foundational premise that was very unbiblical. And, but then they had different emotional responses to it. Well, since it wasn't Mm. um, a real principled thing, it's like, okay, so your mood changed and now you're a leftist. Um, (laughs) But I think that that's really the difference is it's like, it was really just an emotional swing rather than as, you know, like they think it's a worldview thing, but I halfway is halfway isn't. That's okay. That's really interesting because as I've gone on this journey of, you know, through this dialogue of Christianity, where things are at today and discovered reform theology and Calvinism. And I say these words and people who have been in the faith for years, they just clench up. They're like, what? Like, what do you mean? Oh. Like, this is amazing. Right. And, and I don't yeah. understand like why the twitch, why the flinch? Like, that's like POWs almost. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. There was so, a so, lot of silly stuff going down in the nineties and some really good stuff too. So, um, and I do some, think people were who good were, Oh, good. Well, honestly, I do think sort of, um, shaking off, um, the sort of, at least the exterior of feminism where I don't think it went far enough with some people. They thought they were, really be an extremist, but I think they didn't realize how much baggage they still had. But even mm. just being willing to step out and step away from it. I mean, the 90s, um, well, I, I mean, I had the sort of front row seat of what was happening in Moscow, but you have this whole recovery of education and, you know, more and more kids being pulled out of the public schools. And, you know, there's just a lot of really good stuff that started there. But I do think the people who are now doing the whole deconstructing thing, um, I I feel like most of them were, they've been on the wrong path since the 90s. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Well, so. they were put on the wrong path in, in many ways. Like they were discipled poorly. They were over-discipled almost maybe. Yeah, yeah. And, and some of it is, I think, people who are not acting out of, I don't know, principle as much as, or, or their guiding principle is, I guess, whatever the feminists, are going to do, we're going to do the opposite of that. 
And that's not a very <laughs> um, intelligent way of approaching the question. And I think that that's why, um, like, if the feminists like this, then we're going to hate it. If they oppose this, we're going to embrace it. Um, and I think that's why they weirdly ended up um, buying into the, some of the stuff that they thought they were opposing is because it just, it wasn't an intelligent response. Um, Got it. You know, what's really interesting about that is in the dialogue about masculinity, the same thing happened. Sort of the manosphere red pill world also mm -hmm. was an overcorrection from feminism and the, it, yeah. for men, it's like, how do we just, how they drove exactly into the opposite ditch of secularism mm -hmm. and evolution and atheism and all that instead mm -hmm. of sort of finding this middle way because they didn't have any principles to do it off of basically right and and i think some of them is just a basic failure of logic like they could just learn a lot if they learned about the square of opposition because <laughs> like it, it in a lot of ways it's like one of those little uh sort of elementary school arguments where you've got you know the third grade boy saying all girls are stupid. And then the girls are saying, no, no girls are stupid. <laughs> and they think that all <laughs> but none are like the only two options, you know? And um, so anyway, I think some of it was just that where it's like, yeah, <laughs> actually there's a third way. <laughs> <laughs> you get to say it. So, so even exile sort of came out of a desire to, okay, what is that actual third way? What is it? How can we, how can I chart this path through the middle? As you were watching these acquaintances fall into deconstruction, fall into overreaction. So the feminist culture on one side, you have deconstruction, post-purity culture, et cetera, on the other. And you sort of were asking, what's the middle scriptural way through this kind of morass? Right. Well, I think that, um, I mean, I was in a unique position, I think, given that, well, Doug Wilson's my dad. So that was, yeah. <laughs> that's already, it's just its own unique spot to grow up. Um, <laughs> yes. But he also made, I mean, it was so obvious. It was just taken for granted in our family. Like education was a big deal. Education mattered a lot. And he started Logos School in 1981 when I was going in as a kindergartner. So I was mm. the kid. And I did the K-12 at Logos School, and he started New St. Andrews College when in 94. So if you do the math, I was going in as a freshman. Um, so second wave of guinea pig. And um, so like the notion that um, if you oppose feminism, you must be opposed to women being educated. Like that was just, right. what? like that was never even a question because like he'd started a whole well, two different schools <laughs> for me to mm -hmm. go through. So it was like, well, obviously um, he wasn't trying to raise me to be a feminist, but also he was trying to give me an education. And I remember actually one time, sometime in high school before NSA was even like, we hadn't thought of that at all. Um, that was like my senior year, actually, when I was taking a class at the university and hating it. And <laughs> Um, it was, it was bad. Yeah, I did. It was an ethics class. I, okay, sorry. <laughs> this is a tangent now, but it was an ethics class and I was trying to get, like, I thought I was going to go to U of I and I knew I was going to do humanities because I'm just not a science person. Mm. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll get one of my core classes out of the way and I'll get high school credit for it. It'll be great. And I took it and it was so bad. 
and it was taught by a Christian, so it wasn't that. Um, it was actually just the whole thing, these people who didn't understand the first thing about anything when it came to ethics. I felt like this should be hard for me because I'm in high school, and I felt like I was way ahead of the rest of the group. Like, it was just, it was a mess. And I remember one night, like, crying, being like, please don't make me go to that horrible place. <laughs> and there was, dad was like, should we start a college? And I was like, yes, please. Mm. <laughs> Which was very funny. But So sweet. <laughs> I know, it was great. Everybody seemed to think it was the other way around. Like, oh, did your dad just, like, make you go to that school? I was like, nah, actually, he was doing me a big favor. Um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> what a gift. Very nice of him. I yes. know. Um, but earlier in high school, I was like, I know what I want to do. I'm going to major in fashion design. And my dad Ooh. just laughed. It was like, he was like, nah. And I was like, what? And he was like, you're going to get an education. <laughs> And it wasn't because he didn't, I mean, I was really into sewing and design and it wasn't because he minded that, but he was like, no, you're going to, you're going to get an education actually. And so like, it never crossed my mind that that would be seen as something that was like hostile to, and, and I, you know, a traditional view of women. And I think that it's Mm. really weird and I think we see this now, like there was, there was this version of it in the nineties. And I think there's another kind of reheated version of the same problem that's going on now, which is acting as if, if a woman has a brain, then she will of necessity do something terrible with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the only right. way we can trick women into being biblical is if we don't allow them to know anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, let's let's and talk about like, that. It's just such a bad view of um, biblical teaching, really. So, well, that's I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next question. So, so if you, because I because I agree with you, I agree that higher education is really important for the women who want it. Not, I don't think all men want it. I don't think all women want it. It shouldn't be compulsory. But I think right. some people are naturally edified by it. I I was shaped right. in many ways by my higher education. But for, for a lot of people, the question would be like, okay, now you have this college degree, this university degree from NSA, and mm-hmm. what are you going to do with it? You mean you're not going to just go start a career? Because if you start a career, you got to see it through for a few years, right? Like, what, do you, what does it mean to have this degree and then put it into a family? Now, I know the answers, some answers that I give, but sort of what answers, what answers do you give for that? Yeah, well, I think that there's, um, gosh, this is like a whole separate um, question, but I do think Americans Mm. think of education really wrongly. So we tend to see it as certification for a specific job rather than Mm -hmm. an education. Like you're actually forming the person rather than seeing it as a series of certifications. And so it's true that if you see um, an education as certification, well, then it is weird to think Mm -hmm. that a woman needs to have that in order to be a housewife. You know, like for mm-hmm. whatever reason, you were supposed to get certified as a dental hygienist and that's going to make you a better wife. You know, like that's that would be weirdly disconnected. But I would say like for men as well as women, when you train them and train their minds in a certain way, that's going to be applicable in many different contexts. And so... I think if we were to shake that sort of notion that it's just about certification, 
Um, because a lot of times when you think of it that way, it's like you can just skip a bunch of steps too because it's really only the piece of paper. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to have left a mark on you in any way. You just need that piece of paper. And if you're mm -hmm. thinking of it instead as like shaping you, then that actually turns out to be applicable as a wife and mother. It's interesting you say that because, um, so I, I was fortunate to get to go to Stanford University in the 90s. Uh, I graduated in 2002. And I remember that while I was there, I was getting the feeling, I had always grown up with the impression that universities are supposed to form the person, but it was very rapidly becoming, no, this is just pre-professional certification. Like you mm -hmm. come here to get your stamp as like a doctor, mm -hmm. or like a pre-law, pre-med, engineering, et yeah. cetera. And everything else, like the humanities, all person, all person forming things were kind of shepherded to the side. Like they were called fuzzy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, you're taking fuzzy classes. Like, yeah. there's nothing fuzzy about this. It, it was actually felt <laughs> really frustrating for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's And it seems like, it seems like that idea about education has, has pervaded sort of all of America. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I do think too, um, like back again to the nineties, I remember, um, there was one guy in our community who was really into this girls don't need an education thing. Um, and he was only here for a brief time. It was definitely not the like MO of the church, but I remember there was this guy who was local for a while who was into that. And I remember he was like hardcore homeschooler, hardcore don't, you know, teach your girls really anything beyond just barely being able to read. He, mm -hmm. I remember he said one time, girls don't need math because they're just going to be a wife and mom. <laughs> and I remember being very provoked <laughs> when I told him, I was like, what if someday she needs to double a recipe? Like what then? <laughs> I can't even do that. Fractions for not to matter. Um, <laughs> Tripling a recipe. Just, I, I fail at that every time. <laughs> But it was just ridiculous. Like, so he had this, but I remember my dad saying to him at one point, he was like, look, the level to which you educate your daughter is the level that you want your grandsons educated mm. to, right? Because especially if you're talking about you only allow homeschooling, like, and then you're going to give your daughter this like really abortive education, then how is she supposed to teach, you know, your grandsons? So anyway, I do think that to act like a woman who is going to be raising the next generation, like we don't see why a brain would factor into that job. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. like, that's just a really weird take. Um, it, but since we see it as like, well, a degree equals a job, we don't see it as an education has formed, you know, your mind. But mm -hmm. yeah, if it's just about the job, and then if you think the wife is just going to be at home, then yeah, it does seem a little ridiculous. But I think that that's a problem with how we think about education, not just about how we think about girls. So that's so for the next for the next generation. Yes, I, I, that's very important. What about for the current generation that is educated and certified, and uh, in, in a particular profession, and now is looking at going into the home and is wondering how that plays in or how to let that go. And I think that's yeah. probably the question a lot of young girls are dealing with. Yeah. So like you've already, you're already on the other side of that. You already have your professional yeah. certification. Well, it's not like certification is irrelevant, right? I mean, it's, it's useful. And in some cases, extremely yeah. necessary because 
Like I come from a sort of liberal arts side of things, but you definitely want your engineers to be certified and you want your medical world <laughs> to be certified. You don't want to just kind of teach them rhetoric and then assume that will translate to building bridges effectively. You know, like there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's definitely, um, you know, whole wings of society that need that professional certification. And obviously you need to be trained to perform whatever, you know, whatever your calling is. Um, whether that should be through college or another way is a different question. But I think one of the things that girls, like let's say you have a degree and now you're going to be a housewife. I mean, hopefully you can do those conversions yourself to like, okay, I had these skills, like I developed these skills and I see how they applied in the world of finance or how they applied in the world of real estate or, you know, whatever it was. But a lot of that is a transferable concept if you throw it into another field of study. And I, I, you know, like, did you learn how to work hard? Did you learn how to research? Did you learn how to teach yourself and push yourself? And, you know, like there's a lot of those things that I think like, okay, so you set aside real estate or whatever. Um, but surely there are things that you can bring across. And I think it just requires the ability to translate that. But it, honestly, that would be the same for a man if he was trained in real estate and then decided to throw his hat in the ring for something completely different. You know, like people move laterally all the time. And so I think sometimes you might have gotten a worthless degree. That could have happened. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but even just the discipline of going through the education hopefully has has left a mark, even if that wasn't the intention. You know, hopefully it has left a mark, and you can use that in your new um, in your new calling. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Well, everywhere except Phoenix, where it's still like ninety degrees. However, elsewhere in America, it's cooling down. The leaves are turning colors. Girls are ordering their pumpkin spice whatevers and you're probably thinking about what you're gonna ask Santa to put under the tree this year. And since all my listeners are on his nice list and will get everything they want wrapped up in a little bow, I have a suggestion. How about coffee? This is something you'll probably use every day, unlike that holiday sweater. It's delicious, unlike a new pair of socks. It makes you feel great, unlike a fruitcake. And especially, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Because you can go to reformationcoffee.com and not just order coffee, but subscribe to it weekly, bi-weekly, or even monthly. That's right, you can get coffee delivered to you even when it's cold in Phoenix or hot wherever you are and every day in between. And with Reformation Coffee, you can choose from Ethiopia, India, Brazil, and Guatemala roasts. And it's never cold in those places. Plus, I have it on good authority that Reformation may be experimenting with a new top-secret blend. I could tell you, but then Brandon would have to kill me, and that would put him on the naughty list, and we can't have that now, can we? So instead, I'll just drop hints and say that this new project that he's working on might require me getting a whole new set of coffee gear for season two of Will Reforms His Coffee. Pretty exciting, huh? You can be a part of this by going to reformationcoffee.com and ordering several bags of coffee for you, your friends, your family, your wife, your kids, your neighbors, and your coworkers. Heck, even the mailman. Brandon will roast them up for you in three days and ship them right away. And even though Santa isn't Christian, Reformation Coffee is, so you can knock two icicles down with one stone and celebrate the holidays while glorifying God 
and helping a good man provide for his family. I think that's a win-win. So again, go to ReformationCoffee.com right now and start your holiday shopping. And when you sign up for a regular coffee subscription, use the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag on the ho-ho-ho house. Yes, I had to. Happy sipping, friends. I like something you just said, which sort of implies thinking of motherhood as a lateral move. When I think a lot of women in the professional world would, because that was the the simile you used for men, like a man making a lateral move. I think a lot of women would think, a lot of professional women would think that motherhood is like a significant step down. But to conceive it as a a lateral move, I think is a really powerful idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I do think... um, it's, it is funny how much we've been trained to just have this knee jerk reaction to a woman going into the home. Like that is to completely flush all of the, all of the chances that she ever had to make something of herself, all of her talent, all of her education, all of that stuff. Well, she just threw that out the window, didn't she? Now that she decided Mm -hmm. to go home. And so I do think if, if we can get past that just sort of trained response that, a lot of people have that. I I feel like that's really the first big thing is to start valuing your own, you know, calling, because I think there's a lot of women who are doing it, but still don't think it actually is important or that it matters. Like they're doing it, but they feel like it's worthless work. So motherhood being a homemaker. I mean, there are a lot of homemakers who like they are there in the home, but they do feel like they're, kind of embarrassed to show up to their high school reunion, you know, um, mm. <laughs> you know, like they, they feel that sort of stigma that, and, and kind of buy into it themselves. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's like one of the encouraging things I've seen is women starting to actually own the space more without being embarrassed by it. That is, that is actually very encouraging. I, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that many women, when they say that they chose to be home with their kids, they get a lot of pushback from the women around them and a lot of, a lot of disrespect as if they're beha- betraying all of womankind forever, which is the oddest thing. Like the pushback's insane. Speak about that for a second. Yeah. Yeah, really. Is. It is seen as a betrayal, I think, um, by a lot of women. But I think hmm. it's, I think it's encouraging that there are a lot of young women who seem to be ready. Do you get to, do you get to talk to these young women? Do they, do they email you or message you? Do you interact with them where they're saying, I really want to leave the workforce and I really want to settle down. I really want to find a husband. I find myself with this very organic call to be a homemaker, but I'm really scared because my mother, my friends, my, you know, my sisters or or whatever, they'll never talk to me again or something like that. Do you experience that a lot? You know, I, um, I do. uh, Yes. I end up talking to young girls or hearing from young girls a lot. Um, I, a month or two ago spoke to a group in DC that was young women of America or something like that. And it was really, I was shocked at how open they were to this notion. You know, like it was, I was kind of expecting that there would, there's this phenomenon where you have, um, sort of Republicans who, you know, also don't, they just don't see how much feminist baggage they've taken on. Like it's so much the air that we breathe that I think there's a lot of supposedly conservative women who don't even see how much they have bought into the feminist thing. So they think of themselves as conservative, but, um, 
Anyway, so I was talking about that very phenomenon. And I was really surprised at how little pushback I got. It was like they were so open and so excited. And I did at one point say, um, it was it was funny because I felt like I kind of had to build up to it slowly. But I was like, <laughs> I'm going to say something. It's going to be really inflammatory. And everybody's going to get their, you know, their fur rubbed the wrong way. <laughs> What I was like, but we're just going to like notice our own emotional reaction to it. And then we're going to talk about that. So I'm going to just, you know, so I like gave them all the trigger warnings that ever there were. <laughs> and then I said, you know, the best thing you could do for this country is to take all of your drive, all of your abilities, all of your education and throw all of it into being excellent wives, excellent mothers, excellent homemakers. And I seriously expected I would have ticked everybody off. The whole room just erupted in applause. I was shocked. Oh, wow. I was shocked because I, I really thought I was, you know, you're a bunch of conservatives, but even you aren't ready for this. Mm -hmm. But they are. Like, I think there are a lot of people who are like, yes, please, could we just do that? <laughs> so, <laughs> and Are they? Go ahead. Sorry. I, and, I mean, I just was, I was really actually quite surprised, but these are all kind of like, probably 18 to 22 year olds. So mm -hmm. very young. Is this, is this one of those things just to, just to push back a little bit, just to check, is this one of those things that's like, yeah, cool, but you first, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I don't know because there are a lot of girls who are, I think what happens is some of them just, they don't mean to end up, in a long-term career, but it's like they accidentally stepped on the conveyor belt. Mm. And then now the, it's like, how do you even get off of this thing? Yeah. Um, and so they find themselves in a career that they, like they wanted to get married and have kids, but there wasn't anyone around right then. So they went off and got this degree and there still wasn't anyone around. So they went and got this job and they, you know, and then pretty soon they're just down the road as a professional career woman who really would like to be married, but it's kind of like, where's the off ramp in this, mm. you know, in this sort of conveyor belt that I'm stuck on. And I have seen that. And I think, I think that that's just sort of when you kind of just go along with what the society is telling you is the next step, you know, and you're not, they're, they're not like, I don't know they're sort of unquestioningly just doing the thing that society kind of says you do and then finding themselves somewhere they didn't really want to be. So I don't know. I feel like that's more, it's getting more common now. So this is great because this is the big question that I, that I see a lot of women grappling with. Where is that off ramp? How do they begin moving towards the off ramp and what do they do in the meantime before the guy shows up? I, it's rough. It, it actually really is oh, okay. rough on me. I, I mean, like I see the problem because you don't want to say, oh, you shouldn't do anything. Just go home and sit on the couch and see if he walks in one day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Falls in through the roof. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and I, I dislike it when girls, um, I guess, do the thing. I, and see, again, now I'm thinking about the 90s version. I'm wondering if this happens as much now. But where it's like, well, I just want to get married, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to pursue anything. I'm not going to get excellent at anything. I'm just going to 
just sit here till he comes, <laughs> right? Like that's mm-hmm. just, I, I dislike that. But at the same time, you have other girls who are like, well, I guess I'll become a lawyer. I guess I'll, you know, and then, and that's what I mean by kind of getting onto the conveyor belt where now you've put yourself in a very particular life um, that's going to make it harder later, you know, to get off. So I don't know. I think it's a, I think it is a interesting dilemma. And I think every woman who's in this predicament is got her own version of it. <laughs> so that's, that's really helpful because um, as we talked about briefly before we started recording, I'm sort of embroiled in this comment war on Instagram with a, okay. a young girl who posted a reel um, of her and her, her bestie, you know, in all these fabulous places around the world, skiing and traveling, and they're together. They're like drinking wine and having a good time. And the, and the caption basically says, you know, ladies, during the season, go and live it up and travel while you're waiting for the Lord to provide a husband for you. Christian ladies, okay. she says. And that's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know if that's the right answer either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's, it's tricky <laughs> because I feel like, you know, whatever muscle you're exercising will be the one that's getting stronger. Right. And so there's a lot of girls who are getting really good at being self-absorbed and self-infatuated and, (laughs) you know, and just pampering themselves and like this is, and so that's what they're going to become better at. Um, and I do think, you know, like, honestly, if you're single, you do have more time and you do have more opportunities and you probably do have more money if you have a job and, you know, like, so it's not like I'm opposed to to just make the most of it. That's, that's great. But it's like, are you making the most of it by having a productive life or are you making the most of it by just kind of having a really self-indulgent life? Yeah. It, I think the thing, I think one of the things that I said in the I don't know how many comments deep I am at this point with how many different, <laughs> how many different people okay. is okay. a little bit like if you, if you just take off the word Christian from this reel, it looks entirely worldly, right? There's nothing that I, that I would look at about this besides the word Christian that said that indicates anywhere that it's Christian at all. And sure. so like, that's gotta be something. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And, and I don't know, I do think um, the whole question of like what, should a single woman do um, while she's waiting? Like she wants to get married. What should she like? That's a really common question that I get all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are some women who really, um, well, sure. There's plenty of girls who treated themselves to this problem because they put career first and, you know, like they did all the things, but there's other girls that are just, you know, they just haven't met the right guy and, they're faithful and they're trying to do the right thing, you know, so everybody has their own specific situation. But I do feel like um, if you think of being a wife, mother, homemaker as like a calling that you would like to end up in, Mm. if you thought of it like any other profession, like think of if you wanted to become a lawyer, right. And that's what you were aiming for. That's what you wanted. Then you probably wouldn't say, well, I guess I'll just hang out. And then when somebody (laughs) hires me to represent them in a trial, then I will start studying, you know, like, it's like, no, Mm -hmm. you, you start trying to get good (laughs) at the thing (laughs) that you want to end up in. And there's a lot of single women that like, if you do actually want to end up there, 
what are all the things you could be working on right now, getting good at so that later when you are in that position, you have already acquired some of those skills. So um, it, it can be more difficult, you know, if you're just living in an apartment with a roommate, you know, maybe you don't have as many opportunities to be hospitable or whatever, but you, you absolutely can. You can be trying to become excellent in all of these different fields that you would like God to then put you in a place where you could use those for a husband and children. But why, why just like act like, well, someday if I get married, then I will, then I will turn my attention to trying to figure out how to do those things, you know? Right. Yeah. I think it said, I said it was, it's like a a little bit of a risk to say like, I'm just going to travel and have a good time and hope the hail Mary pass at the last minute lands a guy in my life. It's like, there are probably a few things you can be doing right now to prepare for that calling, which I think is, is a really beautiful way of thinking about it. Like you don't have to stay home and do nothing, but you can begin practicing the essential skills of homemaking, motherhood, right? Et cetera, wifehood now so that you're prepared. so, So that when that guy shows up, you can recognize him and you're not just like rolling the dice, hoping that, you know, when you're finally ready to like look around to see who's there, that you're actually mm-hmm. prepared for if he passes by. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could, if you could look back and say like, okay, what would you have wanted to tell yourself the ways to prepare for motherhood or wifehood or homemaking when you were in that stage? Not that you were ever in quite the same stage as the girl who was traveling, obviously. What would you tell that version of yourself now looking back? Mm, on how to prepare to be a mother is mm-hmm. that what you mean yeah, um, mother wife i think um i guess one of the things would be just don't be embarrassed of that as a calling um mm-hmm. so don't be don't be embarrassed of it as a calling and don't be embarrassed that it that you want to end up there then again, don't turn into a super marriage nerd. Um, <laughs> you know, because they're really that the other side of this can be really unfortunate. And I do think that girls are in a tricky position because if somebody says, what do you want to do? And you say, I just really want to get married. You do look real desperate, you know, because it looks mm-hmm. like you're, you're sort of yeah, hanging out a sign like anyone anyone any takers (laughs) and okay yeah and like and that does look weird and i do think that some girls i think i think it's tricky because i think some girls don't want to say it because they don't want to look desperate they do want it it's just it's an awkward thing to say you know what i'm saying like it makes it seem Mm -hmm. like like you're putting yourself on the clearance rack um (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like wow. sort of reduced for quick sale. Um, it's, it's, it's so based. Really, it's, it's really awkward. And so I don't think that, that you should always necessarily believe what's coming out of a girl's mouth accurately represents what she really wants. Like I remember being in that position and people would <laughs> ask me, what do you want to do after you graduate? And I just would say, I'm going to be a shepherd. Because like, how do you answer that? Like, you, you just have to turn it into a joke because with actual sheep, I was just like turned it into a joke because it's it's just sort of. Actually, I remember my husband before we were dating. He did ask me that, and I did say mm, I want to be a shepherd. Um, <laughs> when kind of a fashion designer, <laughs> I know. 
Um, but it was he he asked me, what do you want to do after you graduate? And I said, be a shepherd. Looking back, sure. Later, what I did in fact do after graduation was I had his baby the next week. Um <laughs> which, That's an accelerated we plan. Know, we didn't know at the time, but it was funny. Um so I do think if a girl, if you ask a girl, what do you want to do? And she says, oh, I, you know, I'm going to travel, you know, or whatever. It's, she might not necessarily be showing her whole hand there. You know, it might be like, I would really would love to get married and I would really love to have kids, but I'm just not going to say it because it's just going to sound so lame if I do. So anyway, mm. I do think that that's at least worth factoring in because I think sometimes people assume girls are way more feminists than they maybe are. It's just they don't, <laughs> mm -hmm. they're in an awkward position because it's, um, so anyway, I think that's one thing. So I would say like, don't be embarrassed of it as a calling. Don't be embarrassed of it being something you aspire to, but also like, don't necessarily just be weird about it. And I do think girls should, um, <laughs> don't be weird about it. <laughs> Yes. Stop being weird. <laughs> Guys, that goes for you too. <laughs> Good advice for everyone. <laughs> um, but I do think that uh, the becoming excellent at whatever God has put in front of you is like, you know, redeem the time. Like, I really think that there's, if you're sitting there, you're single, you want to be married later, well, where has God put you and what's in front of you and how can you really just run and throw yourself at that trusting that, you know, God will use this later. And I don't think, you know, especially if you've got a girl who, you know, is waiting for the right guy to come along, there's nothing wrong with her pursuing, you know, lots of different things, mm -hmm. but hopefully with an eye to all of that contributing to make her better as a wife and mother later on, rather than seeing it as like, I'm going to live my life now because as soon as I get married, then I don't have a life anymore. Right. Yeah. That's the, that's kind of the, the, it's like half, halfway between Christian and feminist thinking, you know, it's like, I'm going to live it up while I have the time, you know, but I'm, I'm going to get married like for sure, but I'm just going to live it up during this window. And then when I'm done, then it's on. It's like, well, you're kind of yeah, trying to have it right. both ways a little bit. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And, and I just don't and I see, see a, it shouldn't right. be a dichotomy like that. Right. It, it sh there should be, it should be more intentional. Like that's the thing that I try that I talk to men about is if you're looking for this kind of life as a husband and a father and a provider, that biblical life, that process begins as early as you can from when you discover it. And you have to be intentional about it and not think you're just going to, you know, suddenly stumble into this traditional Christian lifestyle. Like you have to build it over many years, right? Oh, I just woke up one day and like, oh, I'm a, I'm a patriarch of a family. Amazing. It's like, it doesn't exactly right, work that right. way. Right. No, <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> no, not, 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 not even a little bit. So, so a lot of this, it's, it sounds like, um, it sounds like maybe you and your husband have kind of been learning a little bit, a little bit of this on, on the go, a little bit coming out of what is it that's going on in American culture right now? And what is our, individual response to it and what is our response as a couple to it and then how do we begin preparing for the next generation to lay the groundwork without needing to start our own university <laughs> right um 
I do think that it is what's going on in America. I, I don't even know. It's so chaotic. I don't think even the feminists know what they're trying to fight for anymore. Um, no, you know, like they really don't. They've, I don't know. They've won every battle that they fought. So now they're just kind of running around being mad still. Um, and mm. so I, I just feel like it, that's very, it's much less winsome somehow than I, like I can imagine somebody being sucked into first wave feminism or second wave feminism, honestly, because sure. some of the abuses were genuine um, social problems that they were, you know, pushing back against or whatever. Like there was some, there was something in there where you can imagine somebody being snookered into it. But this one, I mean, it's like, I don't even know. It's just, it's angry. It's embracing every kind of moral chaos. And uh, you know, like it's, it seems like the divide is getting wider and it's harder for Christians to be doing the splits across that divide. Not impossible for some of them, but, <laughs> but yeah. it's getting harder. You know what I mean? And so I feel like that's just really encouraging. Um, I think trying to figure out like how, how to answer it. I think one of the biggest distractions I feel like that I see is when people want to, it's like, okay, we've, we've figured it out. Feminism is bad. And then what they want to do is spend all day and all night thinking about what the feminists are doing, talking about what the feminists are doing, being mad about what the feminists are doing, attacking what the feminists are doing, getting into squabbles on the internet with the feminists. And it's like, what mm. if you were to build something mm. that was worthwhile yourself? <laughs> you know, like Whoa. what if you were to actually throw yourself into doing something productive? Um, because there is this kind of weird, um, yeah, like infatuation with we can never stop looking at what the feminists are doing. And it's like, you know yeah. what? Just mute them and work on building something, you know, yourself. Because it's, I don't know, I feel like especially in some of the online fights, it's just... There are, I see women out there doing these weird internet battles where I'm like, you know what? You should probably just turn off your phone and go get good mm -hmm. at something other than owning yes. the feminist. Um, which, you know, like it has its place. Like you need to be able to see what's wrong with feminism. But then that's, that's really only the very first step. And then there's a lot of work to do after that. And I think that um, if we could just kind of, yeah, just put them on mute. You don't need to pay attention to them. They're ruining their lives. <laughs> like you, you build yeah. something, build something worthwhile. That's what the, the, the point that the men often get to is like, okay, we can spend all of our time fighting against what's happening, or we can actually start building our own thing. And that's yeah. encouraging. That's encouraging to hear because I think a lot of women are figuring that out in the same way as like, okay, well, if I actually want to start sort of moving away or jumping off the, the career conveyor belt, taking a step off the conveyor belt, then I, I can't spend all my time arguing with people online. There'll be enough arguing to do with the women in my life and probably the men too, right? Yeah, yeah. To, to, yeah. to worry about Twitter or Instagram. Like instead, I can learn to bake something or I can learn to cook yeah. something or, or I can learn to knit or sew or whatever sort of things that you feel called to and there are a wide variety, yeah. how productive and almost healing that is maybe. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. And I do think that it, I mean, all of the, the sort of resources that we have technological, you know, just at our fingertips, so many options in front of us, Yeah, how we can spend our time. And I think there's a lot of women who think that they're being all valiant for truth because they fight with feminists online when it's like, actually though, that's really not a productive, Mm -hmm. um, is very rarely is that a productive way of spending your time. And you could instead, you could actually be using those same identical resources to teach you how to actually get good at something. And I think, um, the sort of, I mean, biblical teaching on older women teach the younger women too. I think it's really interesting that it's all, it's very practical stuff. It's not Mm -hmm. like older women teach the younger women about how the older women are supposed to be teaching the younger women. Like we get into this weird little spiral of like, we want to talk about it all the time, but we don't ever want to actually go make the brick. We want to do big study commentaries about Titus and, and the whole new Testament context of that. And we're going to do women's studies on that, which is, it has its place, but like you get a women's Bible study together and what they're going to do is read commentaries on the Greek rather than like, what if we actually did the thing that the verse talked about <laughs> rather wow. than just talking about the verse? You know what I mean? You're going to hurt a lot of feelings with that one. I think you're right. You know, I, I uh, <laughs> it's the year of hurt feelings. So it's encouraged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no quarter of November. So like go for it. And yeah. yes, there's the difficult, easy thing, which is to read the scripture about it or read the book about it. And then there's the difficult, difficult thing, which is to go and do it and risk failing. And like, that's yeah. a real, that's the, that's yeah. where the, ru- the rubber really meets the road. Like we did this big study for multiple weeks, but like, did you make anything? Like, no, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's his own yeah. form of, of avoiding faithfulness by being allegedly faithful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this, this is a real phenomenon that I think especially conservative women get themselves into this weird pickle actually, because you get a conservative woman who sees all of, all of this in the abstract. She sees it all intellectually. And so then she goes on the big tour lecturing to everyone all over the nation, leaving her kids at home, you know, Mm. she's out talking about conservative, traditional, blah, blah, blah. And it's weird because it's like, it, it does need to be said. It's like everything mm-hmm. you're saying is true, but honestly, like it would, it's like, do you believe it or do you not? Like, do you think it's effective work to be at home taking care of those kids? Or is it that like, no, you don't understand. If I was to be at home, nobody would get the message. <laughs> right. And it's like, so the question is, do you believe your own message or do you not believe your own message? So I do think conservative women get into a difficult place that way sometimes. And so I can like, um, I can feel that because like with the book and whatever, I totally could have launched myself a nice little campaign trail of going around talking to people and, you know, promoting the book and talking about traditional roles and stuff. And I could have abandoned it completely in the interests of talking about it, Mm -hmm. which would really defeat the point, obviously. Um, And so I think the whole point in my book, the message was like, actually, if you go and you do the thing that God said to do, that's transformative. 
And that actually is the way that you can sort of get to the levers of power is not where you think they are, right? It's like, mm-hmm. and so I think it actually is an incredibly transformative thing if women would go do the thing that God said to do. But we talk about it and we think that's the same thing as doing it. And so anyway. Yeah, f- f- uh, female feminine femininity think pieces, right? It's like, no, 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 <laughs> do, do the thing. <laughs> I'll do the thing. I yeah. know it. I know it. It's it's very funny. Well, I, I want to salute you and for making that choice because the opportunity for doing a book tour and and sort of subtly, you know, contradicting the very message that you're writing in the book by attempting to promote the book, you know, there's like, oh. like yes, of course, everyone would have understood, but at the same time, right. you knew within yourself, like this is if I did yeah. this, this wouldn't be what I was talking about. Yeah, exactly. And I do think that there's some level of um, show, don't tell, you know, which is what, you know, every writer is taught is show, don't tell. And I think that that is uniquely sort of um, a way that women can communicate sort of is show, don't tell. Now, obviously I've written a book. I don't think that there's anything wrong with telling, but I think the real potent place that women can have an impact is not there, but is rather, you know, in the home and in the lives of the, of the people around her. And that's it. It's tricky because you can't, you can't divorce the two completely. Right. Mm-hmm. But the emphasis should be on show. <laughs> not mm-hmm. telling. And so mm-hmm. when you're, when you're the person who's trying to tell everybody show, don't tell you have to, you have to tell it, <laughs> but then it's like, yeah. okay, now what if we were to all go and, and do it? Um, and that's the, I feel like that's where conservative women can sometimes slip off the point. I agree. I agree. Especially because when you're telling about it, like, cool, your, your book comes under fire or your ideas come under fire. And that's a very different feeling than like, no, I'm actually showing you and I'm living it. And, and I'm, away from behind the keyboard and I'm out there in the world living 180 degrees opposite from culture. And there's a way of feeling very, very exposed by that. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's true. But I do think, I mean, um, I I, go ahead, please. No, you go for it. Oh, I mean, I, I see this, I see this pretty often with, with, um, with some of the content creators I know um, on Instagram, successful women who, who grapple with this very question. It's like, how much time should I spend showing versus how much time should I spend telling? And I see a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of girls who really struggle with taking that step. Like if I actually take the step and show, right? Like, like, okay, then suddenly my whole life is subject to approval and scrutiny and questions of modesty. And it, 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 they feel very exposed by the whole thing. <laughs> it's easier to just keep it like, academic, like you're showing your little bug collection of all the little dead bugs that you've pinned to a board. These are all my beliefs about, about femininity. This is what I believe about submission. This is what I believe about it. This is what I believe. I don't ever actually do any of those things because they're dead and pinned (laughs) to a board. (laughs) That's trad culture, right? Trad culture divorced from, from an active living Christian faith is exactly that. Like I'll wear the dresses and I'll do the Pinterest board and all that stuff. But like, I'm actually like doing the thing or am I creating content around the thing? Oh my word. I know that's a huge problem 
because I do think there's a lot of people who are so interested in, well, <laughs> yeah, I suppose these are people who are trying to, to do that. Like, no, I am showing, but like their whole audience is their Instagram feed rather than the people in their home. You know what I mean? Like it's all, mm -hmm. all packaging and no product. Um, so I think that that is a really weird distraction that I think a lot of people can get into when they start thinking like, no, I, now I am doing it. I'm not just out doing Bible studies, talking about the concept. I'm here filming myself all day <laughs> in my mm -hmm. home as I do these, you know, traditional things. And, and of course you could do it in a way where you are like teaching or you are inspiring or whatever, but sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, you're playing dress up. You're just sitting there <laughs> playing dress up and it's awkward. And you could be doing something, you know, real with your life. And I do think that, um, that can be a big reason why I think people are drawn into the conservative life sometimes is it's really more of a romantic, um, make believe that they think mm -hmm. they can create. Um, and it's like, they like the outfits or they like whatever. And, and it's, it's influenced more by the sort of trappings than it is by the, the actual substance of the thing. So I do think that's a, I don't know. There's always ways of goofing it up, no matter where you're standing. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate your approach to these topics because I, I, there, there are many men that have realized these things, but it's different coming from a man than it is from a woman who's done the thing, right? It's mm. it, the message hits different. The same message coming from two different people does not land the same way. And, and frankly, I think there's, I think a lot of this really clear, strong language needs to be used as sort of a wake up call but it comes off so differently coming from men than it does than it does from women. So thank you for saying these things. I think I think a lot of young girls probably need to hear it and need to hear it in in the right way, where it isn't mm -hmm. like chastising, where it isn't shaming, right. or where it wasn't isn't badgering. It's like no, like I'll be honest and clear and direct with you, but I respect you at the same time and your ability to live up to the potential in this mm -hmm. new way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I do I do think that there seems to me to be an audience of women who actually really want, you know, they don't want to be pampered. They don't want somebody like the whole women's ministry world is such a terrible <laughs> swamp of like, just we're going to sit around affirming each other endlessly. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, well, I mean, I know that can be true in the manosphere side of things as well. Like, you know, oh, yeah. people get themselves into like, we're going to be in our little club and we're going to pet each other's hair. And it's just, you know, tell each other <laughs> that we're beautiful. <laughs> Compliment <laughs> each other's beards. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what happens. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> but the, in the in the women's ministering world, it's like there's not actually <laughs> difficult teaching of like, this is what discipleship looks like. This is what obedience looks like. This is what it looks like to like, actually take up your cross, you know, like do yeah. difficult things. It's just a lot of, of you are enough. You are beautiful. You're wonderful. Just the way you are. You deserve all the love, you know, like, and there's a lot of people who are sick of it because it really is just like endless marshmallow fluff. And there's people who are, 
really wanting something else. And so I think there's a lot of women who are really ready for like, absolutely, just just tell it to me straight. And I want to, I want to do it. So that I feels think like it's a, really- it feels like adulthood. Like sometimes I feel like feminism had this kind of like, you know, two-faced Janice appearance where it's like, I'm really strong and capable. But when you challenge me, I buckle and I'm this naive innocent. And it's like a little bit like, right. You see, you have to choose. Like if you're going to be a naive, if if you want to be a a boss babe leader, then lead. Mm. If you want to be a naive innocent, then you have to be led. You can't just choose. Mm. Right. And I think that there are a lot of women who are like, you can speak to them like, yes, thank you for speaking to to me directly. Like, because I'm an adult and I can take it. And I think that that more than anything is, it gives me so much hope to, to hear and to see that. Yeah. I, I think it's really, I think it's really encouraging actually. So, um, I don't know. I feel like the feminist world is getting further and further away from even like the appearance of morality. And so there's a lot of women who are really ready to, to just not worry about it, which is great unless they go off and, and do something stupid, which they might. <laughs> what falls under the heading of go off and do something stupid? Like just well, hey, we get specific. I, mean, like, <laughs> I, I well, actually go, don't. Just go off and live in your little pretendy fairy tale dress up world where you know you're gonna you're gonna have a little pretend homestead sort of. You're gonna wear a prairie oh. dress and you're gonna you're gonna feel like you've rejected modernity now because you're wearing a prairie dress from Target of all things. But anyway. <laughs> Got it. The sun, the sun, the classic sundress. Yes. Yeah. You did it. You made it. Congratulations. Did it. You did it for the gram. <laughs> yeah, I know. So it, I feel like there is a way of like, okay, I pulled out of the rat race and now I just sit at home and don't do anything much except Instagram and, and feel like that's a blow for the kingdom when it's not. Right. Right. It's not actually service. It's, it's, it's something different. Yeah. It's, it's very, um, it's just pretendy, you know? Mm-hmm. Can we, uh, do you have a minute to talk about, um, some of the, some of the stickier, stickier issues of transitioning from the feminist career world into wife and motherhood? Sure. So the, the big, the big sticking word for all of this is, is all, and you, you mentioned it earlier is submission that that word mm. is probably one of the most frightening words in the entire English language in some, in yeah. some ways. And I don't exactly know what that is. Can we, can we talk about that? Because I think it's a glorious thing, but the word itself in our language war has been polluted. So, so what I try to find ways to soften the word, come up with other words, but ultimately that's the biblical word. So yeah. we have to <laughs> land on it. Right. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. how do we, how do we, how do we open the door to that word? Let's put it that way. Well, I think by being big kids, you know, like, <laughs> it's just like, what, okay. what if we were to just be fine with, like, scripture teaches it. So, um, are we going to do it or are we not, you know? And and I feel like that's, um, that's important to just not be so scared off of the whole topic because you're frightened of a word, but be willing to like, okay, what is what does the scripture teach about this? And whatever it is, I'm going to, well, submit myself to it, right? I'm going to be willing to go there. And then being really honest with the scriptures, like what does it actually teach? Because um, clearly the Bible doesn't teach that women submit to men. Like that mm-hmm. would be 
a horrible universe if that was the case. Like submitting mm -hmm. to one man protects you from having to submit to the other men. Um, and honestly, I think a lot of times, well, there's plenty of guys I wouldn't want to submit to, but mm -hmm. I didn't marry them. So that's, so that's oh, yeah. handy. Problem solved. Like, I don't have to. And that's kind of part of the thing is like, well, look, you do get to pick your husband. I mean, if you don't want to submit to him, don't marry him. That's an option. You know, you don't, um, mm -hmm. you don't live in a world where you're going to be forced into marry, marriage with somebody that you don't respect. So find a guy you actually respect and you actually want to follow his lead and then do it. Um, I feel like we do live in a again. really like luxurious time in history, honestly. Yeah. Because we we can actually marry someone we chose to marry. And, you know, like if you're like, but look at this bozo, why would I want to submit to him? And it's like, well, at some point you married him. <laughs> so, so surely. Wow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and people act like it's this arbitrary command to this like ridiculous human that I share a house with. You're <laughs> like, well, <what? laughs> yeah. like, whose fault is that, that you share a house with him? Um, and so having signed up for this now, what does God tell you to do? Um, and it's true. Some women are in very difficult positions and you know, whatever, but, but, when you're starting out, you can make life a lot easier for yourself by marrying a man that you're actually willing to submit to and then having promised to do it. Well, then there you are. You have to do it. One of the sticking points seems to be this notion of husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. And I think that look, the Disney culture, I was thinking through all the different Disney movies and all the princesses with the exception of Frozen, they're looking for someone, a man to love. Like the notion mm -hmm. of her, of them respecting men never actually, it's implied, but it's never said. And there, there's something in that where it's like, if you're not prepared to respect your husband, you may love him, but if you're not prepared to respect your husband or the man that you're going to marry, or you're not looking for a man that you can respect, mm -hmm. that is like going to make the whole submission process so much more difficult. But that's not no. something you ever yeah. hear. No, you're signing yourself up for so much heartache if you marry a man you don't respect. Um, and, you know, like one of the things my dad has taught forever is that the it's clear that scripture is, is commanding to our weakness, right? Because mm -hmm. women are naturally quite good at loving, so they don't need to be necessarily commanded to that because that part is the easy part for women, really, because again, borrowing from my dad, but how many women take back an abusive husband over and over and over? And it's because, well, but I love him. Like yep. women are capable of loving complete jerks and yeah. they know that he's a jerk and yet they continue <laughs> to love him. They don't respect him at all, but they do love him. And so anyway, and guys naturally are more geared to like giving respect, not necessarily as good at the love and, you know, uh, scripture commands for our weakness. So it's kind of like, it's not that women don't need to love their husbands. And in fact, older women are supposed to teach the younger women to love their husbands. So, you know, that is in there, but the sort of difference in command, it does seem like 
Paul's telling the women what they need to hear and he's telling men what they need to hear. And so sure, of course, the husband respects his wife as well, but he has to love her and, you know, in reverse. Men, I have great news. My Renaissance Mentorship Program is open once again. Over the past year, I've worked with high-performing and dedicated men, and I'm thrilled with their results. And they are too. My mentorship page has been massively revamped to feature them and highlight the best aspects of the program. And you can go to renofmen.com mentorship to see for yourself. This program is set to deliver one thing for you, that you end in a very different place than where you began. If that sounds a bit vague, there's a reason. I'm not promising you six-pack abs or a six-figure savings account, though if you want those things, that's great. We can work on them too. What I'm promising instead is that if you're stuck, there's a set of problems in your life that all begin in the same place. You. The way you think, how you feel, plus habits and beliefs about yourself and your story that you've never questioned. Those thoughts, feelings, habits, and mistaken beliefs have piled up to deliver you into the moment you're in right now. And if you're like most men, they're way too much to sort out on your own. If you go looking in that messy basement, you don't know what you'll find. It's a fear that plagues most men, not what we know about ourselves, but what we don't. Which is why I'm there, to walk through those spaces with you. The mentorship includes many of my favorite frameworks you can't find anywhere else, including position trajectory momentum, the narrow passage, the three reconciliations, and the linkage between depression and anger plus the men's life map, which is the foundation of it all. But above and beyond all the conceptual stuff, you get me to walk with you daily to help you become the man your family, household, community, and world desperately needs. And the best part is, there are now three options for how we can do that, including an option for men with lower budgets, but no lack of commitment and heart, because it's my job to get you unstuck, facing in the right direction, and moving towards the man you want to be. Which is why it's not therapy or coaching, it's mentorship. You can find more information at renofmen.com mentorship, including testimonials from men like you and details about the program. And if you're curious about what my mentorship can do for you, register for a free discovery call and together we'll find that out. Again, go to renofmen.com mentorship for more. Brother, you've been going it alone for too long. It's time for companionship, brotherhood, and my renaissance mentorship. And I think it's the, the love message. I remember when I was growing up, you had the whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind of phenomenon yeah, yeah. happening, which seemed very which seemed very much, at least the way that I received it, was that it's all telling men how to love women, right? That was the whole big thrust. There was a softening of men that, that happened um, that many men inherited. But it, it seems like there needs to be a, a, a response, which is like, okay, there are many men that are more ready to love than ever. And so mm. now discipling women to learn how to respect men after feminism has taught them and really catechized them to do the exact opposite with everything they have, like that's going to be yeah. brutal, I think. I mean, I hope it isn't. I hope it isn't. Yeah, absolutely. And to not have it be um, the wrong kind of respect, sort of. Like, hmm. I feel like it's easy to to slip into rather than I honor and respect this man, it, I feel like it's easy to see women slip into, well, he's a man, so I have to respect him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, which is, hmm. which is actually like, it becomes this, I remember one time 
I just feel like I keep talking about the 90s, but there was a girl. You're right. We were at this conference. Oh, my word. My dad had been asked to speak at it. And it was a homeschool conference. And we weren't homeschoolers, um, but we were going to be going with him. And uh, then the brochure came in the mail. And, and it was so funny. It said in the brochure that, like, this is where your child will potentially meet their future mate. So we promptly called it the mating meeting. We were, <laughs> we were <laughs> off to the mating meeting. And it was a little bit legendary in our family. Like, the mating meeting was everything you would expect it to be. And um, so it was a lot of homeschoolers who were wanting to like one one guy stopped me in the hall and asked me if he could court court me. It was like, wow, <laughs> what? This was, was like, <laughs> subtle. He even laid out his financial plan there in the hall. I'd never been introduced to him, but it's like, no, you want you want a girlfriend for the next three days. That's what you want because this is like camp, and oh. you're just gonna call it courtship because that's what some of the talks are about. Like it was it was fine. But at this thing, at the movie meeting, to, to get back to my point, there was mm -hmm. this girl who was my age and my brother, who's two years younger, said something, I don't know, it was a, like about a movie, like that it was good or that it was dumb or something. And she disagreed. She was like, no, it's not. I think it's a good movie. And then they kind of went back and forth for a second. And then she mm -hmm. came back to him later and said, I'm really sorry. I should not have disagreed with you because you're a man and whatever. And he was like, excuse me? And he was like, I will not accept your apology. That's weird. And then, mm. <laughs> and then she was like, well, you have to, you know? And then she's like, but I can't, oh dear. Like, I can't disagree with him because he's a guy. And you know what I mean? Like it, it like it was supposedly this very, um, like I'm doing the super traditional, super Christian, super conservative thing. Like I'm a woman, he's a man. I don't get to, you know, disagree with. It. So that's what I mean about like, as, as we recover this notion of submission, it just don't let it squirt off into that, which is really like Islam. You know, it's like, we're mm -hmm. just going to have men are up here. Women are down here. That's just how it is. Um, and I do think that, as people are trying to get out of feminism, it can, it can weirdly turn back into something like that, which is just because look in another way. Yeah. People are trying to, they're kind of trying to go about it all on their own. Like they don't have many pastors that are willing to talk about the stuff. People are being discipled through, through the internet and praise God for that, that we have people like you and your dad talking about this stuff, but there are so many churches that will not go anywhere near it. And so you have a whole lot of people you know, young people going to church who are like, well, these are the ideas that I'm into. I can't go talk to my pastor about this because he won't talk about this. And so people right. sort of fall into error in all these different ways. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of, it's challenging to know how to navigate. Like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to find real guidance on these issues as a man yeah. or as a woman, given that they're yeah. almost radioactive in many churches? Yeah, that's, that's true. And it is, it is, like the blessing of the modern world that you can find community, you know, even if it is virtual mm -hmm. community, which is not as good as, you know, real mm -hmm. live in person community, but at least it's something because you think about like, I don't know, 30 years ago, what would it have been 
but like the only validation you would get would be if you read a book that, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like very impersonal, very distant. Um, and so I do think, yeah, there's a lot of people who are in this weird space, but more than ever, they can get good, solid teaching, even if it's sort of from afar. Are there any resources that you would point women or girls to that you recommend that you, that you would prefer they go to and send them to rather than navigating kind of on their own? Oh yeah. That's like, like on the whole topic of femininity or just in like more practical. I mean, I mean both. I mean, these are the, I think probably both like biblical femininity, you know, um, uh, preparing for motherhood, transitioning out of feminism. Like are there women's community? I get this question all the time. Like some of the guys and I were like, well, we need this. Maybe we do need to start this community. It doesn't seem right for a bunch of guys to start this community. So maybe something like that exists that, you know, we've thought about it. Honestly, I don't even know, which is, I should <laughs> there know. There you go. No, I don't. Um, yeah, that's bad. I mean, you sort of assume that there's something out there. I mean, my sure. sister and I have a podcast. That's like the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> Most <laughs> podcast hosts don't know very much as a thing. <laughs> it's funny though, but it's like I don't know. I it's weird that I wrote a book on this subject because I do get very bored very quickly of people who just endlessly want to talk about like it's a fascinating subject, but then there's these people who just want to. It's like what we were just saying. They they never want to get to the doing part. They want to just sit and talk constantly about it. And so that would right. be the kind of sort of online community that I would be bored of very quickly. Um, Got it. If it was, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I personally, I'd be like, there's designers, there's artists, there's cooks, there's, you know, like those are all the people that if I get on Instagram, that's what I want to watch. I want to go see what that fabric designer is doing actually. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, rather than like, we're going to just talk about this over and over um you know because you you have to get your your sort of um foundational ideas squared away it's like this is what i believe this is what i believe scripture teaches this is where i am in relation to it and now go like now go do the thing so i mm -hmm. feel like that would be like i would want women to get squared away on the basics first you know, and I would recommend like all my mom's books, honestly, Nancy Wilson's books on, on that, like get squared away. This is what you're called to. This is what you aspire to, etc. But then go, go do it, you know, go aspire to it. Go, go get good at that thing. Um, rather than sticking in that initial spot, which oftentimes, like, I don't know, like as a parent, when your kids were little and, it's basically a way of delaying obedience is when they act like they didn't mm. understand the command. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't, what? I didn't understand. Can you say that again? I don't really, I know. I don't want you. I don't know what you mean. Um, and I feel like a lot of, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, yeah. a lot of times this is what the discussion is, is a lot of people putting off the moment of obedience because they're just like, well, I don't know. I mean, do you think you really meant that? Do you think that, well, what about this hypothetical question? And it really mm -hmm. is just a way of, of playing for time. Got it. Got it. There was actually, um, there was actually a section that I wanted to ask you about, um, in your book. Um, I was, I listened to the audiobook version 
And uh, so I was listening in the car, and there was a section that you, in, in which you described what pregnancy is like. And of course, as a man, that's an experience that I'll never have. And I, I found that part of the book to Not be very crazy. moving. These days, it's so yeah. remarkable. That's all. Thank you for the encouragement, but I'll pass. Sorry. No, it's completely fine. That's completely fine. Um, no, I think I think um, because one of the things I, I had been kind of speculating is that um, women want to be uh, they they're they're made to be mothers to perfect, snuggly, cuddly little, cuddly little babies, and many women their bodies tell them at a certain stage of their life that it's time to do this. And they reluctantly con con uh, concede to being wives in order to facilitate being a mother. Like they don't actually want to be a yeah. wife, but they want to be a mother and being a wife is the sure. gateway to being a mother. Sure. sure. But when you wrote this, when you wrote this section on, on pregnancy, it, it sort of struck me that that can actually be a very scary in some ways experience for women in and of itself. Like it's not mm -hmm. necessarily something that a man would like, oh, it seems so natural. I wonder if you can just talk about writing that section of the book because it, it was it was one of the things that I walked away with most powerfully. Okay, that's interesting. I'm trying to remember what I even said about it. So um, like basically you're, I don't remember what part I specifically talked about, yeah. but like um, for one thing, I think, Honestly, in this day and age, we are so spoiled because for most of human history, a woman went into labor the same way a man went into battle, which is, mm -hmm. I might not come back. You know, like, like it was a genuine question. And I think yeah. most women now, you don't go into labor thinking, I wonder if I'm going to die. But right. that's, I mean, that's the level that, that childbirth was for yeah, up until what, the last 50 years or something? Maybe more, 100? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> but you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, it's, like it's, a, that's a whole, it's a whole thing. And I feel like um, just having your, your body without you even telling it what to do is creating another human and everything gets, everything, all of your body's priorities change, right? Everything is about mm -hmm. the baby. Everything is secondary to the baby. And I mean, it's taking over your body. So mm -hmm. it's a very, um, I mean, it's wonderful, but you can see why women resent it in some ways mm -hmm. when they're not, when they're not willing to like, it's a full sacrifice of your self completely sort of to give life to this other person. So I, yeah, I can see why, why the sort of selfish thing would be like, no, I'm not going to do that. It hurts. <laughs> mm -hmm. Messes you up. Whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. So what was it I had said in there? I don't. Um, may I, may I read your book to you, ma'am? Yeah. Read it. Yeah. It would be a good yes, here refresher. We go. Yeah. It's here. It's, it's the start of chapter 14, which is filling made real. Um, I'll just start. Many are frightened by the whole project because having children is a huge invasion of yourself at the most fundamental level. And that's just plain scary. Having a baby messes up your figure, gives you stretch marks, is undoubtedly painful, and your body, without your consent, begins to prioritize the needs of another human over your own. Another person moves in and takes over your body, and then they come out, but they don't leave. They are now a part of you forever. You don't just get pregnant, and then nine months later, you're done. That child is an eternal soul and will forever be part of your story, even if you lose the baby or give it up for adoption and never see it again. 
another person has imprinted on your soul and your novel and you'll never be the same. This is a huge deal and it's scary and painful and all that. Yes, you will lose yourself, but nonetheless, that's what God created us to do. And if we refuse to put the seed in the ground, we'll never see the flower. If we won't accept the death, we'll never see the glory. But if you lay down yourself in the fertile soil of obedience and faith, God will use that to bring forth fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. I do remember that now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I did write that, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's very well written. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think it is. Um, it's so completely different from, uh, you know, like a man could technically father untold numbers of children and never know. Right. right? I mean, just like never know about it. Not so with a woman. I mean, like you, it is, it is all encompassing. And so, um, I do think that that is why that's been at the very heart of feminism from, from Mm. the get go is that that, that specific thing is resented. That giving of the self. Yeah. Or at least they want to do it on their terms, you know? Like it's, I will do it when I am ready. I will do it when I have chosen to, I will do it when I have full control of the situation. Um, so voluntary motherhood was a piece of first wave feminism, Mm -hmm. um, you know, pre birth control. Um, I mean, that really was Margaret Sanger's whole thing was really birth control. I mean, it obviously was to lead to abortion as the sort of, um, obvious next step, but her specific fight was birth control. And prior to that, I mean, it was just, um, I think it was Elizabeth Cady Stanton who voluntary motherhood was part of her, part of her project. She just wouldn't sleep with her husband. So, (laughs) so she dealt with that. That is certainly (laughs) well, that's one way to handle it. (laughs) Right. But I mean, like, cause she's sort of like pre-civil war, you know, like, and, and that was always something where they, they wanted the ability to decide, you know, I have decided to step into this role now, or I decide not to step into this role, but that, that, um, I think it is because it's so all encompassing that that was resented. So, so as we kind of, as we bring the conversation to a close, I wonder if you have some words of encouragement or support for young girls, um, who are, who are stepping off the conveyor belt, who are looking at motherhood, who are looking at wifehood, who are looking at leaving their, their, their feminist friends and family members and their feminist society and are looking towards this total transformation of their life that sort of deprograms from everything that they've almost, they've, that they've definitely inherited and are looking at these transformations of their lifestyle and their bodies and their futures and would naturally be probably a little scared. And, but do you have any words of advice or encouragement for these girls that can perhaps make it a bit easier for them? Yeah. You know, I feel like it really comes down to, do you trust God or do you not? Um, because, you know, like, has he asked this of you? What do you believe about God? Do you believe that he's the kind of God who is going to ask you to never fulfill yourself, to never live up to your potential, to never, like, is that the kind of God that you serve? No, obviously. And then take his command seriously. Like, like if he has said, this is good, then don't set yourself up as an arbiter over that to say, well, mm, 
I'm not sure it is. I don't know that God has thought through all the issues, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, are you going to trust God? And then go off the high dive, like be the kind of, you know, the, and the person at the, um, at the pool who won't go off the high dive, they're always up there. You know, they're going to, ah, they're going to do it. Nope. They won't. And then they're going to, ah, mm-hmm. nope, they won't. And the whole pool is sitting there. Like, don't be that person with your life where it's like, just step out in faith and trust God with the consequences. And he's not going to turn out to, um, he's not going to turn out to be like, ha ha tricked you. <laughs> mm. You know, so just just be willing to like lay it down, do the thing in obedience, and then trust God with the results of it. And don't feel like you have you have to have scripted all the results, you know, like or you won't step out until those results are guaranteed. It's like just be honest with what God has put in front of you, what has God commanded, and then do it and do it cheerfully and leave the leave the results to Him. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Becca. I'm sure wisdom will bless many men and women with with that advice. So uh, where would you like to send people to find out more about you and what you do? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, No idea. Mm. Where would they go? Um, All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, there we go. Never gotten that one before. With my sister, which is only interesting to women because, you know, we just (laughs) endlessly blab on about you know, housework and stuff. Um, and we talk about Christian Christian principles, but we also just talk about the work of homemaking and being a mother and everything else. That's called What Have You. I have a design business, which is fun. I've got kitchen towels and stuff. That's RebeccaMerkel.com. Yeah. Canon Press has my book. That's about and all And your documentary. Your documentary oh, yeah. is like There's no quarter November. Yeah. Okay, excellent. I'll be sure to send everywhere. Thank you so much for your generosity of of time and spirit today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at renofmen. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.